Welcome to The Sword and Spirit, where we take a look at the issues both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying. And now here is the host, my father, Donald Reimer. Today, our honored guest is a pastor, Pastor Chad M. Manbridge, all the way from Australia. Wow. Okay, so I'm very excited. He wrote an awesome book. He's an author of multiple books, but the one we're going to look at today has to do with what I call how to weaponize the church in terms of... um, wielding the sword, the word of God, which is our sword. And he wrote a book called You Can Handle the Truth. That means the word of God is truth and you can handle it. And he wrote a very good book. I've read it. And yes, it's very good. I recommend everybody go online. You can order it on Amazon. And um, you'll be blessed by it. And it will enhance your Bible study time. Uh, and make it much better and help you to get a better sense of what the scriptures are saying. So sit back and listen up and we'll go right to it. God bless you. So welcome everyone to the Sword and Spirit. And as I said earlier in our intro, we have my first pastor, Pastor Chad M. Mansbridge. If I don't pronounce it correctly, let me know. Um, And he's an author of a book called You Can Handle the Truth. And I have read it. It is a fantastic book from now on. One of the books I will be promoting on this podcast on a regular basis it is the best book I have ever read pertaining to uh, understanding the Bible. And so I highly recommend it. And so, you know, when you get when we're done with this podcast, go to Amazon and get it like immediately or however you can get it. Well worth the time and effort. And people who know me know I read a lot. So they'll when I recommend something, it's going to be good. <laughs> so welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you, Donald. And, and uh, mate, I mean, we should just tell your listeners I have not paid you to say those kind <laughs> words. That, that is genuine. Um, but, uh, look, that's amazing to, uh, to think that you uh, – I'm glad that you received it. I mean, great for technology. The one, the copy that you got was, was from Amazon, although, of course, there are other distributors uh, as well, most uh, online bookstores. Uh, but I'm um, so glad you got it, so glad you read it, and uh, so glad to hear that you – uh, you enjoyed it, but um, yeah. So thank you so much, and thanks for inviting me on your on your podcast today. And thanks for being here. And no, he did not pay me. <laughs> no, well, the the Australian dollar is not worth as much as the US, so <laughs> you know it, it'd be too expensive for me to pay you for advertising. Oh, great. <laughs> so just with a little background on yourself, if you'd like, and 
Yes, sir. Well, as you can hear, I'm, I'm uh, calling or where I'm talking to you from Australia. I'm actually a day ahead of you uh, down under, down here. So the, the sun rises first down on, in this part of the world. And uh, I'm uh, 43 years of age. I'm a father of four, uh, married for 20-something years and have been a pastor uh, or a pastor, as you say, right. uh, for, uh, yeah, for 20 years. Our church is actually celebrating our 20th birthday this year uh, 20 in 22 is sort of what we're uh, our hashtag you know is what we're saying we turn 20 in 22 and uh, I say my church is celebrating 20 years because it's actually uh, the church that my wife and I uh, planted or pioneered uh, when we were just 23 years of age we started the church that we lead so I live in a coastal area uh, most Australians live uh, uh, on the coast, as you know, we're, we're quite a significantly sized island. Uh, much of the interior is not uh, particularly friendly for uh, for living. Uh, very hot and dry, but uh, but around the outskirts, most Australians live on the coast, and uh, I live on the southern coast in a state called South Australia. It's probably most famous for its wines. Uh, we uh, are on a similar similar. Um, climate to the Mediterranean so we are uh, it's wine country and uh, farming through here and some tourism so but I live on the coast of South Australia in uh, a town called Victor Harbour mm, wow okay so yeah so I'm uh, I grew up in a Christian uh, a Christian family and uh, one of the things I was uh, just thought when I was looking at your podcast this morning and and uh, preparing myself to come speak to you and obviously the technology issues we had as well. But uh, just thinking, Donald, the, 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 um, the name of your podcast really appeals to me, uh, Sword and Spirit. I, I grew up in a Pentecostal environment, uh, so was very much um, familiar with the uh, or had a church that very much emphasized the working of, of Holy Spirit, both in the lives of individual believers and also in areas like the gifts and, and the miraculous. But it wasn't until my teenage years that I my parents sent me along to a Christian camp that had uh, high school kids from all different types of church backgrounds. It was really the first time I got to meet other Christians from Baptist and Methodist, Presbyterian and uh, all different stars and stripes. And uh, I met some kids there that believe that the Holy Spirit didn't use um, gifts of the Spirit or the miraculous today. And that was brand new news to me. Of course, I mean, now that's quite obvious, but it was news to me and it really got me stuck into the, into the Bible. So for the first time uh, in my uh, teenage years and then young adult years, I was the leader of an evangelical uh, group at my college or my university. And uh, it was those years that I really got stuck into the scriptures. So I'd like to think that I, like I'm sure many healthy believers, would like to think that I'm uh, I have a good mix in my life of being a person of the sword and of the spirit. You know, we need the, the Holy Spirit and the scriptures working together yeah. uh, in our lives. You can't have one without the other. Uh, but uh, so from my Pentecostal uh, background, I've really become a, a bit of a Bible nerd. And uh, I'm known within our church sort of circles and ranks as being uh, more of a teacher type. And I'm not sure what it's like there in your part of the U.S., but Generally, in Pentecostal or charismatic circles, they're not uh, necessarily known for their uh, strong Bible teaching, you know, uh, but uh, I, I certainly lean that way. Uh, I love teaching the scriptures. And even when I went to college, I went to university, uh, I didn't study the, the Bible. I didn't do seminary or Bible school. I actually went to a secular university, a secular college and studied philosophy and law. I did legal studies. So I actually have a legal wow. studies degree, but that really helped me 
to form arguments, to think analytically, uh, to break down a, an argument that someone was making and, and fashion uh, a belief. You know, fashion, how, how do you form an argument and really develop a, a point of view? And so uh, I think studying philosophy and law or legal studies really helped me to learn the scripture uh, because it uh, helped me to analyze and to, um, to read well, to understand well, and then to try to find application of what you're reading for, for people and so and to communicate that. So even though I didn't go to Bible school, uh, part of our success, I guess, if you like, uh, of that is that education, that training, I think has really helped me uh, to become a better Bible teacher. Wow, beautiful, beautiful. Listen, I, I've been to Bible college and uh, I tell you, you know, um, Bible college just gives you an opportunity to study the word, but it, but um it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get it right because you know you get a mixed bag sometimes some people come out okay some people come out you wonder what they were doing the whole time they were there (laughs) this is true uh, yeah yeah and you wonder like wow really okay all right we're the same class same professor but i don't know how that how we got there but anyway well, um, there's, there's there's always different types of soil, isn't there, Donald? There's that, yeah. that great parable of Jesus that's in each of the Gospels and and uh, the one seed, the one sower, uh, but different soils. Uh, so uh, God's word can have different effect in people's lives. It all depends on how you how you handle his word, really. <laughs> so, exactly. Is the, uh, and and yeah. how it's received. Yeah, you're right. You're 100% correct. Well, that's very good. Um, one of the things that... Um, that uh looking at my notes here give me a second <laughs> i wrote some stuff down because a short pencil is better than a long memory um <laughs> you know one of the things that i think that's that's important to like you were saying is having come out of that uh type of uh you know uh, background um and that's also one of my pet peeves with, with the pentecostal uh, church and and I and I can say that because I'm a Pentecostal, so it doesn't. Oh, okay. I did not know that. It, it's all good. It's all good. I'm I'm not your standard Pentecostal believer. Completely um, different. But anyway, having said <laughs> well, that, <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> having having said that, um, it, they have a lot of people have a false dichotomy between the Holy Spirit and the Word. So when you start mm-hmm. talking about like I'm, I'm. A lot of my theology is Reformation theology, if you want to call it that. Okay. And, and but people, you know, will say to you, "Oh, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures," you know, that type of thing, and they'll accuse you of just um, elevating the Bible like equal with God or something or whatever, you know, or trying to replace the Holy Spirit. And what I tell people, I said, that's a false dichotomy. They, they act as though the Holy Spirit and the Bible are in mortal combat or something. Mm. I'm like, no, 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 no. Anything the Holy Spirit does will be backed up by Scripture. He will not violate his own word because it's his book. He wrote it, so he's not going to violate. And so you, uh, any subjective experience must be tested by objective truth, which in this case is the word of God. If it doesn't line it with Scripture, I just dismiss it as, okay, he's... He just went over the deep end or something, <laughs> but uh, but I'm, but yeah, but like you said, you need the sword and and the spirit. But but again, the the the, the final court of arbitration is Holy Scripture. That's where we we land at, uh, regardless. So yeah, um, 
And like I said, the way that you broke down that everything in the book, I thought was magnificent. And, and that's why I'm trying to get more people into reading it and getting more people into the word. Um, because I find that there's a drifting in the body of Christ sometimes away from the Bible to the spirit told me, God told me and all that kind of craziness. But uh, anyway, uh, let's get back to the book. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no problem. Look, I think I, I grew up in a, in an environment where the emphasis on what is the spirit saying, you know, the emphasis on, um, hearing Holy spirit. And, and that was, you know, uh, put forward by preachers just in their, the innocent way that they would say, look, I'm, this is the message God put on my heart this week. They'd start their sermons like that. And it sort of sets the tone that, uh, everything that you do, every decision, you have to really hear clearly hear Holy spirit on speaking, you know? And, um, and I think, I think I appreciate that emphasis because our walk in the Spirit is a walk with the Holy Spirit. He is, right. you know, Jesus with us, as it were. In fact, I, yeah. I just shared with my church yesterday that ridiculous statement Jesus made when he said to his disciples, it's better that I leave you. And I, I thought, what? That's, how could you say that, Jesus? It's better yeah. for you that I go. Yes, because we get Holy Spirit with us, you know, and, and that, that really is a reality. Uh, but um, God is committed to guiding us through Holy Spirit and through spiritual manifestations. And, and if I'm speaking to a, a, a fellow Pentecostal, then I can say with great confidence, God is committed to speaking to us through dreams and visions and inner witness and voices and, and coincidences and all those and, and an inner peace and, and uh, prophecies and those type of things. And at the same time, he is absolutely committed to leading and guiding his people through the scriptures uh, because historically the Holy Spirit has led other people and they've documented how he's done that. And there is a, a special inspiration on the written word of God and uh, God is absolutely committed um, to both. And I often say to our church, you know, the three main ways that God guides his people uh, is through the spirituals, uh, any of those manifestations, whether it's an inner witness or a, or, a, or a voice or a dream or a vision or whatever, through the spirituals, through the scriptures, and through the saints, uh, that God yeah. has put us in community, uh, not dead Catholic saints, okay, in that sense, but that God has put us in the community with other people that have Holy Spirit and with other people that walk with God, other people that know Jesus. And so, uh, so particularly when we make significant decisions in life, uh, we should seek, you know, the confirmation of two or three witnesses. I mean, what do other people in your life see about that situation? What does the scripture have to say? And what's the spirit saying to you? Uh, it's not just one at the exclusion of the other. God is committed. Uh, God is, is multilingual. Okay. God can speak different languages. He can speak in different ways. And uh, he's absolutely committed to using the Bible, uh, fellow believers, as well as the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yes. Yes. So, um, maybe you kind of almost answered this question here, but what, what was your motivation for the book? What made you sit down and say, I'm, I think I'm going to write a book about this? Well, look, in, in 20 years of, of leading God's people and, and, uh, and being a pastor in the local church, I've developed two great preaching passions. I love preaching. I love Bible teaching. Sometimes when I take the pulpit, I actually sit down and just sit on a stool and teach and converse. Uh, other times I just love being quite energized in my, in my preaching, quite dramatic and, and getting people's attention. Uh, but uh, my two great passions in preaching, number one is Jesus. I mean, 
I think every preacher should say that, but yeah. I say it because I mean it. Jesus is my number one passion and his gospel, what he's done for us and accomplished at the cross and through his resurrection and, and current ministry right now for us in heaven is just the great news, the gospel of God's grace. You know, the, the, the good news that the uh, person of Jesus makes it possible for all people to know God and to know him both now and in eternity, throughout all eternity is my great preaching passion is to is to expound the gospel and to declare the gospel and so jesus is my number one preaching passion but number two over the years i've developed a real desire to help other people handle the bible for themselves and uh, again that came out of that that those young adult years where I saw other Christians who held very different beliefs to me in my church tradition, but yet we all had the same Bible. We've got exactly the same book and we come to very different conclusions. Well, how does that happen? You know, mm-hmm. we've all got the same, we've got, it's exactly the same. We even were all reading the NIV, you know, we all have exactly <laughs> right. the same yeah. translation, uh, but we come to very different conclusions and beliefs. And that really got me interested in the whole area of, um, how we read the Bible and how we are supposed to understand it and how we are supposed to apply it to our life. And there's a fancy pants term for that that you learn in Bible school. It's called hermeneutics, hermeneutics. Yeah. Uh, and uh, basically it talks, it's, uh, it's the, uh, the area in which all literature is understood, but particularly the Bible in this conversation, at least it's about how we approach the Bible, how we apprehend it, what it's saying, and then how we apply it to our life. And the reason that Christians reach different conclusions is because we read the Bible differently. We understand it differently. We apply different rules in our reading, whether we know it or not. Uh, and, uh, and that's why we come to different conclusions. And so one of my great passions as a pastor, you know, in, in Ephesians chapter four, uh, Paul says that, uh, Jesus, after he ascended, gave gifts to the church, including pastors, uh, evangelists, teachers, apostles, and prophets. And their job is to help God's people do the work of the ministry. Their job is to equip God's people. And so I'm convinced that my job as a pastor or teacher or whichever category I fall into, I don't really care. Uh, but my job is not just to uh, preach the word, but is to help, is to equip the saints to read the Bible for themselves, equip the saints to uh, hear God in the scripture on their own. I'm not the Pope. I'm not the priest. I'm not, you don't come through right, me right. And to get to Jesus. You know, we, in our reformed theology, I'll, I'll be with you on that one. In our reformation theology, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. You know, every yeah. believer can approach God with confidence and every believer can hear his voice and every believer can handle sola scriptura uh, for themselves, can handle the Bible. And so when Paul writes to young Timothy, a young pastor, and I've really identified with Timothy, over the years because I started my church when I was 23, you know, with almost no experience. And so I love the book of Timothy or the two letters to Timothy. And uh, in that letter, he says to him, he says to his young son, Timothy, he says, listen, you need to be a good workman uh, that is not ashamed because you correctly handle the word of truth. That's the NIV rendering. The older translations say who rightly divides the word of truth or divideth if you grew up with the King James, you know, but right. who correctly handles the word of truth. And that's the reality of the Bible. It's a good book. It really is the good book, yes. you know, and it's, it's powerful and it can be life-giving, but it can also hurt people and it can also do great damage 
to people if you don't handle it properly. It's like a weapon or like a tool in a worker's hand, like a hammer, for example. You know, as um, Jeremiah said, your, uh, your word is like a, a hammer that breaks the rock into right. pieces. And uh, a hammer can be very constructive, uh, a tool in that it can build someone a house or fix something. You know, a hammer is a great tool. It can do great things. But you can take a hammer and, and hit an old lady over the head with it. That's not good. You know, that's, you right. can cause great harm with that tool. Um, the same with a fire. You know, Jeremiah said, your word is like a fire. Well, a fire can be a really good thing, but it can also do a lot of damage like wildfires or burn burns victims you know we've all seen fire hurt people and the same thing's true with the bible uh preachers or leaders or anyone really can mm -hmm. take the bible uh because it's a powerful thing it can both heal you mm -hmm. or it can harm you and it needs to be handled with care it needs to be handled properly uh and so yeah and so i think if my one of my great passions for this book and your question was why did you write this book it's because i want to see god's people for themselves handle the scriptures well and so that it it, it uh, produces its desired effect on the earth it produces blessing and uh and well-being and advances the kingdom and represents jesus well you know we see many christians who don't represent jesus well because sometimes because of their interpretation of the scripture. They use the Bible or they misuse the Bible and they misrepresent Jesus. I hate seeing that. And uh, I want to play my part in helping people to understand the Bible is not that difficult to, to, to take it, to have a grasp of. It's meant to be understood. It's meant to be uh, God wants us to learn from it and to lean on it. And so the encouragement in the book is you can handle it. Okay. Don't be scared of the Bible. Uh, don't, uh, don't think you, you're inadequate as a, as an uneducated, you know, I haven't gone to Bible college. What will I know about the Bible? No, 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 no. You can handle it. You're supposed to handle it. And so as Paul said to Timothy, my exhortation in this book is you can handle the truth. You can do it, okay? And uh, you can do it the right way. Uh, you just need a little bit of assistance. Like Timothy needed the coaching and the mentoring of the Apostle Paul. So we all need some training or some guidance into how to handle the Bible well. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes, over the years, I've, our church has a Bible school. And um, I have taught, I haven't taught in it for a while, but when I do teach in it, at the end of every semester, uh, at the end of the year, I, I do a, take one class and, do, and just go over on how to study the Bible, how to just sort of, like I said, a starter kit, get you started and, and you know, um, because you just don't want to study the Bible because when you're only in school, if you only... Like, I know some people only read it when they have to preach. I'm like, well, that's not good. But all right, you know, um, it should be a habit. It should be a part of your daily, uh, just like when you get up and eat breakfast, it should be part of that, you know. And so, yeah, that's 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 awesome for you to hear you, to hear you say that. Um, now, I like, like, there's a lot of things I liked about the book. And I, I just said, there were so many things. I said, no, no, where could I actually pull some things out here? Um, you were talking about different translations. I believe it was something old, something new, something borrowed, something new. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, unpack, unpack that for a little bit for us. If you will. Well, in the first, uh, basically the book, um, we just take a step back and have a look at the, the broad structure of the book. The, the subtitle of the book is 
making sense of the Bible in three simple steps. And okay. I like, I'm a three point preacher. So Baptists like me, you know, love me, you know, because I, <laughs> three points keep things simple. Um, but basically my, the structure of the book says, listen, step one of handling the Bible well is you've got to read it. But basically it starts there, doesn't it? You've got to read the book. Right. Um, and what I like to do is, is um, not tell people what to do, but is to uh, suggest that people ask questions of the Bible. And so these three steps are not three instructions, they're three questions. And so I phrase it like this. Step one, you've got to ask, what does the Bible say? That's the first thing you've got to work out. What does it say? Your second question is, well, what does that mean? Because what something says and or what somebody says and what they mean can be two different things. So what does the Bible say? Step two, what does the Bible mean? And then the third question is, well, what does that matter? Who cares? <laughs> you know, what does right. it matter to you and to me today? And so in this step, in this first step, what does the Bible say? Uh, I spend a, a good deal of time talking about how to read the Bible. If you're going to answer the question, what does the Bible say? Then you need to know how to read the Bible and you need to know how to read it well. And in that part of the book, I deal with the issue of translations, exactly your question, because uh, a lot of people say, well, okay, I want to read the Bible, but which one? You know, which, which Bible is best? Mm -hmm. And I actually propose uh, in that chapter that every serious Bible student or serious Bible reader should actually have not just one Bible, but should have multiple Bibles. And that's one of the great privileges uh, of uh, English-speaking people. Yes, <laughs> so we yeah, we yeah, do multiple. have many. <laughs> yeah, that's a great privilege, you know, and a privilege those of us in, in the Western world or who can afford to access different Bibles. I mean, let's not take that for granted. You know, that's a, that's a huge <laughs> privilege. But my, my suggestion is you have different Bibles, and uh, I like to draw on that old phrase, something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Okay. Yes, and I so like for some, you, did you like that? Yeah. Yeah. Love yeah. So a something old Bible, a something old Bible is basically the one that you're most familiar with. I grew up on the 1984 NIV was the one that my parents gave me when I was 14 or 15 years of age for Christmas. It was the one I took on those youth camps and then took to church and, and took to other youth camps. And when I was growing up and I've underlined it and, and it's the Bible that's most familiar to me. I'm not here to promote the NIV. I, I wouldn't suggest to your listeners that they get the NIV. Right. I'm just saying it's the one that I grew up in. And so when I memorize verses, you know, it's the NIV that comes out. Uh, old, some people have been Christians, maybe of your your generation might go, well, you know, when I mem when I quote verses off the top of my head, it's the King James Version. That's what yeah. I grew up on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But I suggest people have a familiar Bible, something old, something that they know their way around, that they've highlighted, they've written notes in, they've journaled moments with God that they've had or inspiration that they've had from the Scripture. Don't throw away your old Bible because like a weapon in a cabinet, you know, you can have a cabinet full of weapons, but uh, if you're going to win a battle, you go with your old faithful sword. You, you grab the one that you know. I know my way around this one, you know, and know how to use it. So something old Bible is one that you're really familiar with. But on top of that, I think you should have another Bible, and it's a something new Bible. It's a fresh Bible, a translation that you're unaccustomed to, uh, that you might read for devotional uh, readings in the morning over breakfast like you suggested or whatever and that just helps give bring out things in the text that you may not have seen in your 
familiar Bible. So my father did this when I was growing up. He grew up with the uh, New American Standard mm-hmm. Bible, right. uh, which would be quite popular in the in the charismatic days of the 60s and 70s. Uh, but when I was a kid, uh, the Bible that he read at the breakfast table was Eugene Peterson's message, paraphrase, a very, okay. very different and um, he didn't read it for study purposes. He read it to minister to his heart in the morning and, and to hear God first thing in the day. But he also read it because it was so different to his standard Bible that it brought out nuance and, and, and it, things that he uh, may have missed becoming so familiar with his new American standard. So there's a something old, something new. The third type of Bible is a, a something borrowed, okay? And that's basically a Bible that you might just take off the shelf for a specific purpose. So if you're studying a topic, maybe you need a leader, a, a, um, a Bible study group, and uh, you think, I'm, I'm going to dig into this subject matter, then you might borrow a really literal translation that really sticks them. They're difficult to read sometimes, but they're literal, a really literal translation. The, the ESV is probably one of the most popular ones. Like yeah. that, not too difficult to read, but more on the literal side. Uh, but there are even more literal ones that are really clunky, but good for study purposes. Um, or else, if you're speaking to a group of kids in a Sunday school class, or for me, I speak at a chapel service for a school or at a wedding or a funeral where there's people there that you know don't understand the Bible, uh, you might be asked to read Psalm 23 or something at a funeral. Well, you don't take a real clunky literal Bible. Uh, you might take a more... Um, contemporary one like the message or like the new living or the good news bible or something like that right. uh, that's a, a little bit softer in its reading and that even even kids can understand the language and so you you borrow that bible for that occasion yeah. uh and then you put it back on the shelf and you just leave it until next <laughs> next time so you basically pick and choose a translation for the occasion for the audience that you're reaching and that's that's the the, the idea of borrowing a Bible on occasion, depending on your audience, depending on your purpose. So something old, something new, something borrowed, and of course, something blue. And uh, when you think of blue, you think of blue screen on a computer. You think of hyperlink blue on the computer. And this is my way of saying a digital Bible, an electronic Bible, uh, where if you're studying out a subject, there are so many free programs on the internet that you can use uh, to read multiple translations at once. You can click on a word and it show, opens up the Greek or the Hebrew of that word, shows you every occurrence of it in the whole Bible because it's hyperlinked on the software program. And as a Bible teacher, and I'm sure, Donald, you've learned this as well, um, those electronic programs, whichever one you choose, are really useful yeah. uh, to uh, to study yeah. out a topic. So that's something blue. It's a it's a way of saying an electronic Bible or a digital Bible. Um, so yeah, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. <laughs> I just think uh, every serious Bible student should. It's it's a it's a fun way and a memorable way of thinking of the different kinds of Bibles that you should have without recommending a particular brand because I'm not selling a, a Zondervan label uh, or, a, you know, I'm not, I'm not right. selling a brand. Everyone's different. They have different reading capabilities, et cetera, et cetera. And that's also what I talk about in that chapter about when you're choosing a Bible, uh, how to go about that. And uh, one of the ways, you, really, best ways to go about that is talking to people in your community who know you well. So another good reason to be in Christian community uh, is to uh, talk with people and, and uh, get their advice on what, uh, what they know of you, what translation may be best for you. Because I can't do that all the way here from Australia. You know, yeah. everyone's different. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's 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 really good. Um, I always use uh, you, the NIV is is considered to be one of the best. It's a dynamic equivalent, which they consider to be one of the best um, thought for thought translations. And then I have a the, uh, my literal translation is the ESV. Oh, they got. I'll use the ESV or the NASV. That's also a good literal translation. And um, so, like you said, you know, when you were saying that, I, I was reading the book and everything. I was like, "Wow, this is this is me right here," because I got several translations for different reasons. And then I like um, there's one. It's only in the New Testament because he was a Greek scholar. The Phillips translation. And, oh, J.B. Phillips, yes. Yeah, and I like that because the language is so simple, you know. And uh, so, like you said, you know, for a Sunday school or something like that. You know, you want that simple language that doesn't, you know, you start going to King James. And I still, and but, but here's the thing, something old. My main study Bible is the King James. Because most yeah, of wow. the study aids, when I was growing up, most of the study aids were geared for King James. Oh, that's changed over the years. So that's when, it, when I'm doing any serious study, I'm pulling stuff out of the King James. But I have my ESV and I have my NIV right there with me. And I'm making comparisons all the time. So... Yeah, that's why I was reading the book. I was like, wow, this guy must be in my study or something. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Um, Now, uh, concerning the three steps, like what does it say? What does it mean? And and that's where uh, a lot of people get tripped up with with the what does it mean. They'll read it and then they'll. You know, I and, and I'm sure being a pastor, you've heard some pretty wild stuff. You know, people read it and you're like, okay, clearly he doesn't, his reading comprehension is not that great. But, uh, but you know, um, growing up, now me growing up, um, I heard a lot of Donald Gray Barnhouse. I heard a lot of, yeah, I used to get Jay Vernon McGee. I don't know what you guys get in Australia. Um, and then, um, uh, but Barnhouse, and after he passed away, there was uh, uh, the guy who took up his spot after him. But anyway, it'll come back to me. And okay. then uh, then the guy after he passed, and Phil Reichen took over 10th Presbyterian Church. But the one thing all, and I used to say to myself, why, you know, I said, why are these guys so good at expository preaching? They're, they seem to be almost effortless. And what I discovered uh, was that they're all good at literature. Uh, they understood how to interpret literature, period. And so, in fact, I think one guy was even mentioned, he said he was going to go to, to Bible college, and the pastor told him, no, 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 no. He said, if you go to school, before you go to Bible college, study literature. Learn how to interpret and read and understand literature. He said, if you master that, he said, when you go back to, to the seminary, he said, the Bible will make a lot more sense to you. And, you know, rest is history. The guy's you know, it's an, it's an incredible expositor of scripture. So, but I, I said that to say is that, um, but the one part that I think where people really, not just what does it mean, and, and we'll, 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 I'll, I'll let you mention, talk a little bit about what does it mean in terms of how the hermeneutics, because I thought you did an excellent job of that in the book. But um, the what does it matter? That's where I really, that's where I think a lot of people really get tripped up. But um, let's do what does it mean first. Let me talk a little bit about hermeneutics and how you how you approach it. Not not a problem. The look, I think all of us in a uh, who are in a re- relationships with people have been in the situation <laughs> where we have a misunderstanding. Okay, right. and right. Uh, and you can. I heard what my wife said 
Mm-hmm. But I didn't yes. understand what she meant when yeah. she yeah. when she said that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of arguments in that in that uh, misunderstandings there, and and uh, that can happen cross culturally as well. Uh, in, I know what you said, but I really there was a misunderstanding of what I meant, and sometimes I, I feel like God's doing that with us. You know, is 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 in heaven or whatever, however you picture that, going oh kids you know you're reading my book but that's not what i meant you know you, right, right, you missed right. my meaning come on guys and, uh, and uh that so yeah so one thing knowing what the bible says is one thing but knowing what uh someone means by what they say can be uh another thing entirely and, and that second step or that second question what does the bible mean or what does this particular passage or this particular text mean uh that also has a, a fancy term that many of the your Bible nerd listeners may have heard, but it's the word exegesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it basically means to draw out the meaning from what is written. So you, you draw out. It's not like you you put your meaning into it. Uh, no, you draw out the original meaning of the original author to the original author. Uh, audience when the original language in which it was originally written at the original time in history when that thing was came about and so i joke in the book to say you know there's nothing original about exegesis it's all (laughs) you've got to work out it's not about coming out with a new uh a new understanding of the text that no one has ever seen before no 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 it's about taking a historical approach stepping back and going what does this text mean and what has it always meant because meaning is fixed. Uh, this text says what it says, and it means what it has always meant. And that's the second step. Our job is not to um, determine the meaning, but is to discover it, to go, oh, look, I've discovered what this text means, um, despite what my preconceptions might be or my preferences might be or what my pride may say. Well, I've always seen it this way. No, 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 no. My job is to discover what does the Bible mean when it says that? Uh, and then later on, we can look at what uh, impact or what influence that might have in our life. But at this stage, it's understanding that. So, yeah, you're right. It's a critical step. And in our tradition, uh, with our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. um, where our pulpits tend to emphasize um, preaching over teaching. Are you happy for me to say that, Donald? Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. I think generally what we do is uh, Pentecostal preachers do is they read a scripture, then they jump this second step completely and they go straight to therefore church. This is what you need to do. This is what God wants of us. This is what we should do this week. There's the word for the day, you know, and they just miss that entire step of understanding the history and what the passage means. Uh, And I think that's to our detriment. Now I do understand there is a difference between preaching and teaching. I think preaching can be front-footed, is application, is inspiration, is this is, you know, uh, how this matters to us and this is what we should do about it, y'all. You know, like right, let's get right. on with obeying the word of God. That is absolutely place for that. I'm, I've led a church for 20 years. I'm a preacher, you know. But this second step is where the teaching kicks in. It's like it's, it's really looking at the text. You used the word exposit before. Right. Looking at the text and saying, okay, let's break this down. Let's make sure we understand what's going on here. And generally, I've found in Pentecostal circles, um, like you mentioned before about your Presbyterian uh, teacher that you listen to, you often have to go 
outside of Pentecostal circles to really hear that kind of teaching. Um, in fact, one of my favorite Bible teachers uh, is a Presbyterian uh, in, in America. Uh, he endorsed, endorsed the book. Bruce W. Gore is his name. And uh, he uh, does fantastic YouTube uh, teaching. And, you know, I'd say 95% of his lectures or is historical background, uh, context of the time, and then right at the end, he might give an inspiration as to how we can apply this to our life today. But he's a teacher, teacher, you know. Um, and so I think this is a critical step and where most people's understanding or misapplication of the Bible fails because they're so interested to know, what does God want to say to me now? What does God want to say to me now? Uh, no, no, first take a step back when you read the Scripture Say, what does this mean? What has it always meant? Uh, what did God say then? And what did it mean at that time? Because that's still what it means today. Yeah, so many people skip what I call uh, a thorough intent. What did the author intend when he was written? Um, yeah, you, I tell you, uh, you, you must, like I said, you must be reading my notes, but... <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happens because a lot of times, and I, that's why I brought it up because what happens a lot of times is we read it to say, you know, what does it say? And then we take a, a quantum leap forward. And somehow we're now we're discussing about what does it matter? I said, well, wait, 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 let's, let's find out what he, what he meant first, you know, because again, like you said, you can get, somebody can give you instructions to do something and you go ahead to do it, but you, without understanding what they meant when they told you to do it. And that can lead to misunderstandings, et cetera, which we've all been there, you know, one way or another. It's like, that's not what I meant. I, oh, I thought you meant this, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Misunderstandings in relationships. And, and, that's, and we have a relationship with God through the scripture. And so to, to do whatever we can to minimize those misunderstandings. And this is where some work comes in. You know, this is not the easiest part. And this is probably why preachers skip it and why a lot of Christians follow that example and maybe skip it because it does require some work and some effort and some intention, uh, intentionality. But that's the, uh, you know, my book is based around that scripture, Be a Worker that correctly handles the word of truth. There is work involved. You know, Paul said to Timothy, be a worker, a good worker. And so when we do approach our Bible, we need to be prepared to put some work in, and like exercise or anything that's good for you. It requires some work. And uh, the work that is required in this second step uh, to really get your head around something is uh, really important, but it pays off big time. You know, it, the rewards are amazing. And I think we all know that when we've sat and uh, when we've received good teaching from a teacher and we just feel full like a big meal, you know, it's been served before us and you go, wow, that fed my heart. You know, I've got that, that word just really uh, fed me. And, and that comes from from putting work in the kitchen uh, behind the scenes. But um, but like everything in the book, this is something that um, this is an area where a lot of Christians then split on their disagreements as to what the Bible actually means and so uh, it can be very complicated and confusing i've read a number of books like mine on on the subject of hermeneutics a bible interpretation and uh when it comes to discussing how you discover the meaning of the text boy oh boy uh people, yeah. preachers uh, can have a habit of, of of complicating things so i really try to make it simple for people as you know uh, donald when you when you read it like all good preachers i i don't mind a good acronym uh here or there 
uh, to, uh, to remember things by. But I basically come up with something that I call the ABCs of exegesis. Four things, the ABCs of discovering the meaning, of, of answering the question, what does it mean? Yeah. A, B, C, and S. Okay, ABCs. So the A, one of the first things you look at is, well, who's the author and the audience? When you're reading something in the Bible, ask yourself, who's the author? Who's the audience? Who is speaking? Who's on first, as Abbott and Costello would, would say, okay? Who's on first? You know, who's doing the speaking? And then who are they speaking to? Because not all of the Bible is written to you as a Christian, okay? Not all the Bible is written to you. It's all written for you, but it's not all written to you. And so when you're reading Leviticus and about God giving instructions about slaughtering animals and not wearing certain types of clothing and, and burning things that are affected by mildew and all this stuff, you go, well, hang on, who is that written to? Who's the author and who's the audience to whom it's addressing? I need to understand that first before I go, well, what the heck does it matter to me today? You know, what, what do I apply in this? Well, hang on, don't launch into that third step yet, this second step. What does it mean? You've got to ask A, the author and audience. B stands for big picture background. Big picture. You know, every truth has a context. It's in the, um, it has a place in a big picture. And I'm a big picture person. I've got a feeling that, you know, we're kindred spirits here, Donald, so I'm sure you are too. But one of the best things, if you want to understand something, (laughs) is to take a step back or else you you miss the forest because of the trees. You're so focused on the tree right in front of you. You've got no idea how to get your way out of this forest, okay? And people get lost in the forest of of bias information and you just say, hold on a sec hold on take a step back all right? get a bird's eye view rise above and see the big picture where that truth fits you know that little uh, puzzle piece I, I talk about a puzzle uh, your puzzle piece your verse or your story or your character or your instruction whatever it is you've read your parable that you just read uh, that puzzle piece will make a lot more sense if you understand the big picture and then you know where that puzzle piece fits and the whole thing makes more sense to you. So don't uh, yeah, be careful when you're reading the Bible. Understand, take a step back when you go, what does this mean? Or take a step back and consider the big picture. And that's a significant part of the book. That's where you look at things like historical context and cultural differences and, mm-hmm. and issues of covenant and cr- even chronology. Where, Which part of the Bible story does this fit in? And uh, so I, I go into depth on that. C stands for corroborating context. So A is author and audience. B is big picture background. C in the ABCs is corroborate your content. Corroborate is like a detective uh, term. You know, when when you read a piece of scripture and, uh, you know, I think I use Paul's thorn in the side, for example. You know, Paul said, I've got a thorn in my flesh. And you think, well, what does that mean? Is that you know, a cancer or is that a demon or is that a, a, a pornography addiction? Okay, what, what is this thorn in the side that Paul had? Well, don't, la- don't launch to conclusions, okay? Don't, don't speculate. Corroborate your content. Corroborate means you, you look in other places of the Bible to see where the phrase 
thorn in the flesh is used. And it is. It's used in the Old Testament. Uh, speaking of people that um, are persecuting God's people or harassing them. And so, oh, now I know what thorn in the flesh means. It means a persecutor because the other parts of the Bible use that phrase. You you um, don't just launch off on a conclusion on one verse. No, you corroborate that verse with other similar verses and uh, you compare scripture with scripture. Okay, you use the Bible to explain itself. You corroborate your data, your data, before you uh, launch a conclusion. And uh, I like to use there the principle of two or three witnesses. Don't make a decision. Don't read a scripture that says women should not speak and say, well, that's it. As soon as a woman walks through the front door of our church building, they have to be quiet because I see a verse that says that. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yep. Let's compare <laughs> Let's compare that scripture, that half a sentence, okay, from Paul, which is true. Paul wrote it. It's inspired scripture. Absolutely. That's what the Bible says. I agree. That's what it says. But what does it mean? What yeah. does it mean? And how can you say that women can't speak the moment they work into a church building when I can show you so many other scriptures of women preaching and proclaiming and explaining the scriptures and leading God's people, including leading large groups of men. Okay, we need to not jump to a conclusion based on half a verse here or a, a full verse there. We need to corroborate our content to understand the consistency of biblical truth because truth is consistent. So this is comparing scripture with scripture, and this is a big area where a lot of people launch off onto some weird understanding because of <laughs> just one verse. No, you need to compare the Bible with itself. And the last thing is S. So the ABCs of exegesis, A, author and audience, B, big picture background, C, corroborate your content, compare scripture with scripture, and S is you need to consider the style of speech that is being used, the style of speech. Is the Bible speaking uh, figuratively or is it literal? Is it supposed to be literal? When Joel prophesies that the moon will be turned to blood, does that literally mean that the big rock in, in in our night sky, that big white rock, that planet out there called the moon, or the moon, uh, will that literally be turned into hemoglobin and white blood cells in the red? I mean, is that what it means when Jesus said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood in John chapter 6? Did he really mean that the people there were meant to, you know, cannibalize him were they yeah. meant to eat his flesh no they misunderstood him destroy this temple i'll rebuild it in, in three days no they misunderstood him because jesus was not meant uh, not supposed to be taken literally he didn't want to be taken literally he was using figurative language you've got to understand the style of speech the bible always means uh, says uh, what it means, but it doesn't always mean exactly what it says because yeah. some prophets talk in poetry, they exaggerate, you know, <laughs> they yeah. use uh, analogy and metaphor and illustrations. Yeah. And Jesus, I've got a whole chapter devoted to examples of Jesus where he sets an example of this and it got him into a lot of trouble, you know, because people misunderstood him and, and, uh, but they didn't understand he was talking in a way. Uh, that uh, was not supposed to be taken literally. Now, many books on the subjects of 
hermeneutics really focus on this. One of the, the biggest selling book in this area is called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by a, a Pentecostal theologian, Gordon Fee. Yeah. And, um, and they spend probably 90% or 80 to 90% of their book just on this subject. The, the word is, uh, you often hear the term genre. Uh, a literary genre. What is the genre of this literature? Uh, but for me, it's it's not a 90% deal. It's it's one component of understanding the Bible, but it's still a very important one. Uh, and so uh, you don't need to know all the technical details of genre. You basically just need to know, well, is this literal or non-literal? You know, <laughs> um, that, that's the basics. You just got to start there. And so they're the ABC songs. And that second question, the first question is, what does the Bible say? Well, you you got to read it, okay? Second question, what does that mean? Well, when you answer that question, what does it mean? I say consider the ABCs. A, author and audience. B, the big picture. Uh, C, corroborate your content. And S, consider the style of speech that's being employed. And if you if you consider those four things, not necessarily on every single verse or every single passage, you know, just maybe two or three of the ABCs, you definitely have a far better understanding of the meaning of what you're reading and hopefully not reach uh false conclusions yes yes okay uh final thing. and i'm going to suspect i'm going to suspect donald that you love that part of the book because if, if you're got a teacher if you're a teacher type like me um you probably really appreciated that uh those examples oh, and the I discussion on I loved it. I, my thing, my example with, with my students sometimes, I said, how many of you have plucked your eyes out? You know, um, you know, and I said that he's using hyperbole. Of course, you, you know, one guy said, well, you know, uh, well, can you do it? I said, well, think about it. There was a movie out a number of years ago with uh, Jamie Foxx. He played Ray Charles. Oh, yes. Ray Charles was blind, but he found a way to lust anyway. He would feel the woman's arm or whatever. He could tell her size, her body weight, et cetera, et cetera. I said, so he's blind. His eyes are already out, but he's still doing the same thing. So clearly Christ was using hyperbole and trying to tell you that you, that, how, that you need to, to deal with sin radically before sin radically deals with you. That's what he was getting at, you know. But, uh, but other than that, I said, you, you, you can, every man would have his eyes ripped out. That, that's, that's insane. <laughs> it's so, true, yeah. No, I, I grew up with a mother that, you know, my mum said she would, would consider herself a, a, a straight shooter. You know, she just says it as it is. Right. But when we were annoying her as, as kids, she'd say to us, you kids are driving me up the wall. And I'm like, I've never seen my mum drive up the wall in our house. You know, that, that never right. happened. <laughs> she, exactly. she considers herself a straight shooter, but she uses figures of speech in her language, you know. Right. So, and the Bible does the same thing. It uses hyperbole, figures yeah. of speech and hyperbole and yes, etc. So, yeah, there's definitely some fun illustrations uh, in that, but um we, it's not yeah. something we should take for granted because uh, this a lot of disagreement uh, in in our beliefs of the scripture can come down to that how literal you take uh, you consider something. something and and again the idea is not well I take that literally and Donald it's up to you if you take it figuratively then that's up to you no 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 our question is not how do I understand how do what do I how do I see it the question yeah. is what does the author intend you, you mentioned before authorial intent yeah, yeah. and uh, I like that I, I use that as another acronym in the book the aim of this second step what does it mean the aim is the author's intended 
meaning. A-I-M, the aim of exegesis, is the author's intended meaning, not yours, his. And ultimately, of course, as we read the Bible, we always realize there are two authors involved. There's the human author and there's ultimately the divine author. So we're, we're always asking God, what is his meaning? What did he mean when he... Uh, inspired this text to be written. Yeah, I, I cringe when I go to a Bible study and the, the leaders, they read a scripture, then they say, what does this mean to you? They're going to go around the Oh, no. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Nobody cares what it means to me. <laughs> no, exactly. And, I, and I'm like you. I, I just, I have my reformed uh, brothers and sisters to thank for that, 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 yeah. that they have um, that they instilled that in me, that that question, what does it mean to you? No, that's not the question. The question is, what does it mean? Period. Full stop. <laughs> that's it. Period. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Gordon Fee, bless him, uh, as a Pentecostal theologian in, in uh, How to Read Your Bible for All It's Worth, he really drew, drills that home too in exegesis. It's what is the intended meaning and the fixed meaning. And so for me, in this new book, 40 years later, uh, you can handle the truth. I want to reach that next you know, generation of Bible readers and instill that same point. It doesn't matter what it means to you. Uh, the question is, what does it mean? To, what does it mean? Full stop. And then once you know the meaning, the fixed meaning throughout all of history that will never change and you can't decide it, you've just got to discover <laughs> it. Uh, then you can go to the third step. Uh, what does it say? You read it. What does it mean? Well, you've got to reason your way uh, through it, you know. Uh, and the third thing is, well, what does it matter? What does it matter to me? And that's the question for the Bible study group. Not what does it mean to you, but what does it matter to you? What, what's the significance of this to you? What implications does this have in your life, possibly? Uh, and that's where that third step comes in, where we apply God's word to our life today. Yes. Um all right, final segment here, uh, final question, and then I, I want you to, um, you know, just talk about your ministry, put in a plug for whatever you want to, you know, whatever else you want to advertise. It's all good. Um, but one, the last part here, and in, in what does it matter? And this is the part, like I said, it gets a little scary sometimes because I've, I've, again, you know, people will, I'll put it to you this way. Jesus said in, in, uh, in Luke's gospel on the road to Emmaus, he said he, that all the scriptures were about him. And so, like you said, step back and people don't step back and look at the big picture, the meta narrative, the grand story, which it's about Christ. But we have a tendency to make ourselves the lead character in the story. So and then Christ ends up becoming the supporting actor. Um, so I've got a problem with somebody on my job. And so because, you know, we have a particular conflict, you know, God is obviously is on my side, can't possibly be on their side. <laughs> It can't be anything I'm doing wrong, but okay. So now I read a story and, you know, uh, David overcame this particular person because he trusted God. So I'm going to trust God so I can overcome this person on, on my job. So I become David and now I'm the lead actor in the story and God is supporting me in the background. He just comes in there to mop up my, you know, the dirty work or whatever. But, you know, but I'm, uh, the story is really about me. And so when when we talk about you know, um, and I like the way you put it in the book, what does it matter? It was very balanced the way you brought that out because yeah, it's written to us and yes, some things, you know, some things are applicable, but then we don't want to make ourselves the center of the story at the same time. If you, if you, if you could unpack that a little bit for me. 
what does it matter? How would how do you approach that? Yeah, well, there's there's a couple of ways. It was I actually opened that part of the book by uh, that section of the book or that part three. What does it matter? By saying this is actually one of the most difficult parts of the book to write because yeah. uh, because everything up to then, what does the Bible say? Well, that's not up to you know. You just read it; it's it's yeah. there. Uh, and what does it mean? These are quite technical steps. It's pretty objective. The, the uh, you just do this and you do this, and there's a method behind it. But when it comes to, yeah, what does it matter to me? Well, there's a bit more of an art in that. There's a bit yeah. more nuance in that because, you know, I can read a scripture that says, um, wives, submit submit to your husbands as to the as to the Lord, as is fitting to the Lord, and, and, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, I read that in Ephesians. And I go, well, what does that mean? Well, Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, et cetera, et cetera. We can look at the, look at the meaning. But then I say, well, how does that matter? to me well the scripture that says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church that has a very different significance to me than it does to my 16 year old daughter right because when my daughter my 16 year old daughter reads well husbands love your wives well there's not much she can do with that at this stage of her Life. Yes, it can help her. It can educate her. She can know, well, when I'm married, this is what I look forward to, or this is what a good husband looks like. Yes, of course, there's lessons she can draw. But for me, there is uh, immediate application in my life because I'm a husband. She's not, you know. So it's not that all application to every Christian and every believer is identical because we're not all in the same shoes. We're not... uh, you know, not every uh, every verse has equal application to every person. So there's an uh, what I'm saying is there's an art in this. Yeah. You know, there's an art in, in in applying this, and and sometimes it's hard to explain in step by step acronyms. Okay, <laughs> exactly how to perform a work of art because it's largely nuanced. There's a there's an intuitiveness uh, about it, uh, which is again why you need to walk with the Holy Spirit. Which again why you need to be a part of community uh, when you read uh, the Bible. So uh, so yes, but that what we all agree on is that this third step is like. The third step in a triple jump, you know, you are not going to get anywhere near the goal of the scripture if you don't apply this third step. If you do a two-step triple jump, you know, that's a fail, you know, that you, mm-hmm. we must apply, uh, do this third step and ask, well, what does this uh, matter? What do I do with it? What influence or what um, uh, what significance is there in my life? It's a very good question to, to ask. But one of the ways I think I can help people do that is by considering another acronym, of course, um, and is what I encourage at the end of the book is to um, consider the joy of biblical revelation, joy. And that, that acronym is Jesus, others, and you. And when we understand that the Bible is a relational book, it's designed to uh, help us to know God better, first and foremost. It's designed to help us to live out the great commandment of loving God and also loving others. Then when we approach the scripture and we're seeking significance, okay, God, what what is this? What can I do with this script? Or what can I do with this passage I'm reading? I encourage you to consider three things. What does this teach me? Number one, uh, about Jesus. What does this teach me about Jesus? And if you read, for example, the story of David, and Goliath, uh, you, you were mentioning before, you put, well, I'm David, aren't I? I mean, I'm, of course, because the whole Bible's about me. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the most important person in the world, you know. Right. I'm reading my Bible. No, 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 no. What does this story teach you about Jesus? What does it teach you about God, the nature of God? Because the ultimate 
purpose of the book is to get us to know God better, you know, uh, to get us to know God and enjoy him for eternity. So what does this teach me about God? And then when you look at the story with a God lens, a God focus, well, boy, oh boy, you're going to walk away with conclusions about the might and the power and the strength and the grace of God in that story. You might also look at David and go, well, what if I don't see myself as David, but what if I see Jesus as David? What if David's uh-huh. actually a picture of Jesus? Uh-huh. Oh wow! Well, that means I'm one of the soldiers. I'm one of the. I'm one of Saul's army. You know, shaking right. in my boots. You know, or maybe I'm one of the brothers who's antagonistic uh, against Jesus. You know, maybe I'm more aligned with that character. And when I look at David in that story, I'm looking at my hero Jesus that has destroyed my Goliath, and I am now part of a victorious army that can overcome the Philistines because Jesus has defeated, has cut the head off of Satan at the cross. Boom. I mean, that's a totally different, you know, uh, because I'm looking for Jesus in the story. I'm not looking for myself. So the first thing is, what does this story teach me about Jesus? Uh, Jay, oh, well, what does it teach me about others? What can I learn about other people? Because my great command in life is to love other people. And so as I read the scripture, I want to learn about other people so I can love them more. And since you brought up David, I, I, I talk about in the book, the stories of David and his, the relationships with his family and with Jonathan and with King Saul. Um, it's really a days of our lives saga. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> and, um, sure is. But the Bible has real stories of real people with real struggle. And if we read the scripture saying, Lord, help me to understand the people in my life, uh, then we can learn lessons from the scripture that will help us to love other people in our life because we will see commonalities uh, with people, with people like David who had father injuries. You know, David had a dad that did not believe in him. Uh, when the prophet came to say, show me your sons, he completely forgot about da- David. He was just left out in the in the paddocks, you know. Right. Uh, he, he, there's something, some kind of damage that was probably done in his heart there without getting too psychological, but there's probably something in his heart from neglect from a dad. And, and then, of course, King Saul, his spiritual dad or his, his employment dad, you know, his boss, right. treated him terribly. It was, it was abusive. Uh, that relationship with with Saul. And so later in life, when David himself is a father, um, he cowers away in fear from, uh, he doesn't confront his own sons and their sin. Yeah, Yeah, and Absalom and, and, uh, and those issues. And, you know, that should give us great compassion for people and empathy for people in life who have been fatherless or who have father wounds and not to excuse anything that they may do in later life that's unhelpful, but to certainly empathize and to say, wow, you know, even a man as great as David, God can use a man so powerfully like David, but he still demonstrated uh, weaknesses in that area. And you know what, God, I feel like you're speaking to me today and you're helping me to understand my brother or you're helping me to understand that sister in church who I'm I'm seeing behave a certain way and I'm going to show more compassion to her because I know the relationship she had with her dad has probably scarred her uh, in this part of life so it that sounds quite deep you know but that's the pastor in me coming out saying actually when we read the bible when we're finding significance we can ask ourselves what does it teach me about other people how can I learn about other people so that I can love people better today. So look for Jesus. What does this teach me about Jay 
Jesus? What does this teach me or show me about, oh, others? And lastly, what does it teach me about why, about you? The Bible says something about you as a person and about your identity. And uh, you can learn that and discover your identity in the scripture. Mm. So seek, seek joy. It's a very simple, very simple technique to, as you read the scripture, because honestly, Donald, you and I know you read through the book of Numbers or Leviticus or <laughs> Obadiah. I mean, you know, some of your our listeners may not, not even know there was a book called Obadiah. Well, there is, you know, and right. uh, you think, what the heck? Well, what, how can I benefit from this? You know, why did God put this in the book, you know? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but no matter how complicated the Bible may seem at times, because admittedly, yes, there are parts and portions of the Bible that are difficult to understand. We're not going to shy away from that. There are parts that seem Gee, how can I find relevance in this? It really does seem irrelevant. This is a 3,000-year-old story. What the, What do I do with this today in 2022? Well, look for Jesus, look for others, and look for you and see what lessons you can learn out of that because I, no matter how complicated a story might be, I can promise you somehow, it shows something about the character and nature of God. And ultimately, that's the reason for the, for the Bible. It's not so we don't have the Bible so that we can know the Bible better. We have the Bible so that we can know God better. And uh, that is the ultimate purpose of the book. So, yes, uh, every time you open your scriptures, ask him to reveal himself to you uh, and his character, his nature, his being. And uh, you can find God in the pages without having to dig too deep um you can find him in the pages and and uh come to know him better wow okay well thank you so much um uh this has been a blessing and hopefully it's not the last time we do a show together (laughs) hopefully um because you have a lot of good information and a lot of things to say that i think are valuable and uh, I just thanks and thank God for you. And I'm going to put you down my prayer list now. When I find good preachers, I put them on my prayer list because the one thing the church needs right now is some solid Bible preachers and teachers. Uh, yeah, amen. So I just praise and thank God for you taking the time out of your day. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of uh, some other books you've written? Some. Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to thank you too, Donald. It has been a pleasure. It's a great way for me to start my day. And I've only had one coffee, so, uh, you know. <laughs> but I get so energized uh, talking about the scripture and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, helping other people to know God better. If, that, if, I, can help, if I can achieve that, that would be, that'd be fantastic. But, um, again, we, we started this conversation, or, or the reason we initiated this conversation today was, uh, because uh, you'd read my book, you can handle the truth. And as you said, uh, we got you got it from Amazon. There are other places. Uh, it's available in audio book. I actually narrate the book myself, so if your listeners can handle my Australian accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, uh, then they can get the audio uh, book and uh, or the electronic uh, book on in in Kindle or whatever uh, they use yeah. uh, the ebook. Uh, the paperback, I'm a fan of paperback. And, and one thing that we haven't said, if you if you look at the paperback, is that I actually had an illustrator from our church draw uh, different illustrations to help soften the subject matter because 
Bible interpretation can be intimidating to people. But our job as preachers, and Donald do the same, is to take something complex uh, that some, and not make it complicated, <laughs> but to make it simple and clear for people. And, and so when I put this book together, I'm like, I want to have illustrations and cartoons and, and uh, bonus articles in there that just uh, help soften uh, soften the the serious subject matters. So I much prefer the paperback. That's why I sent you a paperback copy uh, in the post, my friend, because I thought uh, the electronic copy I could send to you for, for free, but I thought the paperback I'd much prefer. I'm a uh, paper trumps screen as far as I'm concerned. But yeah. the book's called You Can Handle the Truth. You Can Handle the Truth. And uh, it's a picture there of, of just me sitting on the front opening my Bible because the tone of the book is very much a mentoring conversation. It's not a preacher preaching. Uh, it's not an academic talking in scholarly terms. No, no, no. It's, a, it's an ordinary believer, a pastor with 20-some years experience, uh, just having a conversation with someone and uh, coaching and just mentoring someone through how to understand the, better, uh, the Bible better. And so while I had 20-year-olds or 20-somethings, college-age uh, kids in my mind when I was writing it, uh, you know, people in our church in their 50s, 60s, even uh, 70s, 80s. I actually had a lady in her 80s do the, uh, the the small group course with me for this book, a video course, and uh, she loved it and, and participated in it. And so really people of all ages can benefit from it. Uh, but uh, look it up on your favorite platform. You can handle the truth. Uh, and my name's Chad Mansbridge. You can, uh, my website's chadmansbridge.com. I do the occasional podcast here and there. I've got a few YouTube things uh, on uh, videos on, on different platforms, but um, I'm also a father of four and lead a church. So uh, my, uh, my pumping out content isn't my main priority at this stage. Uh, it's, uh, but um, yeah, so you can handle the truth, Chad Mansbridge. Beautiful, beautiful. And do, um, do you have a workbook that goes along with this? Uh, no, we, not, a, not a workbook, but I have put together a video course uh, that I'm, I haven't quite polished it up yet to release it for international use. Um, when I mentioned the course then, it was people in our church were testing it out for me uh, before I then published, uh, put it online. But the, the first lesson of that video course I put on YouTube for free or online for free. And so um, it just is me sitting on a couch with my Bible open and just walking through the basic content of the book. But, yeah, I've designed that video course. It will be uh, launched sometime this year, 2022. Uh, but uh, I've launched uh, that video course for small groups to do it together. So where you watch a video, um, I'll, I'll give you a heads up as to the readings that week. And then you go home, you read about an hour of the book, uh, chapter by chapter, come back, discuss, watch another video. So it's one of those video, uh, yeah, uh, small group uh, courses. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, God bless you, sir. And thank you for your time and your energy. I tell you, you really helped, uh, helped us out a lot here today. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Donald, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank right, you. God bless you. Bye. Thank you for your patience and listening to this extended version of The Sword and the Spirit. As I said, when I do my interviews, I decided to not put so much a time limit on it per se, so as we get to some of the content. As you can see, the, this gentleman had a, quite a bit to say. I do recommend the book. You can get it on Amazon. And hopefully, get into the word, people. Get into the word. It's not the time to be slacking. It's hard work. Yes, it is. It's not easy, but it's it, the rewards that you're going to reap, you'll, you will not be sorry. 
So thank you for listening to The Sword and the Spirit, and may God bless you. And looking forward to seeing you guys next week. And you can write to me at rhyd12001 at gmail.com on any topics or subjects that you'd like me to cover or interviews to do as well. As I said, there will be more interviews to coming, coming up, and I will let you know as to the times and to the dates. God bless you, and thank you so much. And I appreciate your time uh, for listening. And hopefully it was well worth your while. God bless you, and thank you. Thank you.